Go in your Bible to John chapter 17. I, um, several, several weeks ago, as we were looking at the calendar and planning this day, I knew we would be in our James series, but uh, I knew from the moment we decided to have or show our appreciation to our lead team today, I knew that we would go a different direction. And um, so we're taking a little break from James today. Hope you're okay with that. Somebody said no. Well, I'm sure there's a church somewhere preaching on James today. <laughs> it's a pretty popular one. Um, but to our lead team, and then really to everyone serving on a team, I want you to know that you are literally an answer to prayer. Um, in the fall of 2017, when Kristen and I were honored to become the pastors of Lifehouse, it was our prayer, and it still is our prayer, that God would raise up men and women who would understand the vision to, to reach the people the people of Oak Ridge and Knoxville and surrounding areas to establish, um, I think I would have said it then, I may still say it now, a, a colony of life in a country of death to, to catch the vision that the kingdom of God is what Jesus, he said, you know, pray in the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we prayed that God would give us people or raise up people from within us who would understand that the local church is not meant to be a, a club or a place that we go once a week, but rather it is meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus that go forth into our world, making the reality that exists in heaven become the reality that exists around us. And so, as I was thinking about today, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I could have talked about. I could preach a message trying to convince you that you need to serve. Uh, but let me just stop right now and say, if you're not serving, you need to serve. Uh, that's the message on that, okay? You need to get involved. If you're not giving, I know this is a topic that people are like, oh, you're going to talk about money. Well, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined, okay? But if you're not giving, can I just tell you the real truth about giving? If you are not giving, the only person you're cheating is yourself. The only person you're robbing is yourself, you're robbing yourself from God's blessings. You're robbing yourself from God's covering. And I can tell you as someone who has experienced the generosity of the Lord, you truly cannot outgive God. And, you know, I thought I could preach a message on serving. I could preach a message on giving. I could preach a message on, you know, show up, be at church on Sundays. Stop taking so many vacations throughout the year and leaving town during fall break and such. I could preach a message about being here, you know, when service starts. <laughs> like, hey, get here early. Um, I could preach a lot of different messages. I just saw somebody get elbowed. Um, I promise I had no one in mind as I said that. But I knew for the moment that we decided to do this today that 
today the Lord would have me preach a message about the importance of unity within the church. And I believe God's doing great things among us. I don't think there's anybody who would doubt that. I believe, you know, our worship services are just incredible as we get to experience the love of God. We're growing. Uh, We see new faces almost each and every week, and almost all of those new faces come back and get plugged in. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. But if we want to continue going where the Lord wants to take us, the content of this message, or really the content of the words of Jesus, have to become more real than they have ever been in this local body of believers. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 17, starting with verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as, I, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus goes on and he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. Come on, say that the world will know. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much as you, as you love them as much as you love me. This entire chapter is truly the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer really would be better titled the Disciples' Prayer or the model of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. But as Jesus prayed, In John 17, he prays for himself. Many of us have believed the lie of the devil. It's wrong to pray for yourself. We think, oh, that's selfish. You know, I just need to pray for other people. Can I tell you, if Jesus took time to pray for himself, it's okay for you to pray for yourself. Somebody needs to be free of that guilt today. Jesus prayed that God would keep his disciples, that he would keep them close. He prayed that God would protect them from the evil one, from the devil. And then last, he prayed for his disciples. And Jesus is very specific. He didn't just pray for his current set of disciples. He prayed, he says, for all who will believe in me through their message. So in this moment in John 17, Jesus literally prays for you and for me. He prays that we would live in unity with one another. And then he goes on. Uh, or rather, let me just do this. Sorry, you're good, Rhonda. Rhonda's good, right? Rhonda's doing a great job. I want to read that same section of Scripture again, but I just want to read it from the message, and then we'll pray, and then Rhonda can hang out, and then uh, we'll preach. He said, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. 
I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in their oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and love them in the same way that you loved me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you took time in the last moments of your earthly life to pray for us, literally each and every one of us in this room right now. While you did not call us by name as recorded in John 17, it is impossible for me to believe that in that moment, our names did not come to your heart. And Jesus, as we talk about your church and as we talk about the unity that you desire for each one of us, I pray that our hearts would be open and that we would be receptive to what you want to do in us and through us. Because God, as great as this season is, this is not the destination. There is still a journey ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord praise one more time? Jesus prays here in John 17 that our unity would reflect the unity that exists between him and the Father. And and if I can just be transparent with you, I want to tell you, I can't really wrap my mind around that. I can't really wrap my mind around what that relationship looks like and how that you and I could live in such oneness that we would mirror that. But I know that if Jesus prays for it and he tells us to do it, I know that in whatever capacity it may look like or whatever it may look like, I know it must be possible because Jesus wouldn't present something to us that it would be impossible for us to fulfill. He, he says, essentially, that while the Father and the Son are separate and distinct, they are of one mind and one heart. And that is what his prayer for each one of us is. And, and I think it's important that we understand that Jesus prays for our unity, not our uniformity. I think it's important that we look different, that we act different, that we talk different. I even think it's important that we have different opinions about different things. I was at a lunch recently, and a gentleman asked me what I believed and then about, and, he, and then he named a very divisive theological thought that I will not tell you what it was right now because those of you who, who, who like theology and especially those of you who like to argue would probably have an opinion. And I just told him, I said, I think they're both right in some areas and both wrong in some areas. And then he said, well, what areas do you think? And I said, I don't, first of all, I actually told him, I was like, I don't have time to go into the details. But what I really meant was, I don't really know. I just didn't want, I just didn't want to say that. And, but I think it's okay, and I even think it's encouraged that every so often about, about things other than salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone, that we have conversations with people and understand that we can have unity among brothers and sisters who see some details a little differently than we see the details. 
Because Jesus did not pray that in every single aspect of life, in every single aspect of theology, that we would agree and be alike and that we would look alike, that we would, you know, that we would all prefer traditional hymns over contemporary worship or that we would all prefer contemporary worship over traditional hymns. I just split the room right now. Like, you bring that stuff up. People get more upset over what kind of music you have in church than they do straight up heresy, right? It just tells you where people's priorities are. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus is not praying for our uniformity. He's praying for our unity. And I thought of a way to illustrate this. And, and I got to thinking, you know, well, we all love good music. I, I can barely reach this on my tiptoes. We all love good music. So I'm going to sing you a song. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. It's not that funny, Shakiah. So if, if I were to play a note on this keyboard. Anybody got perfect pitch and know what note that is? Nope. That's close though. You're cheating. It's G. That's guitar. I'm a real, I'm a guitar player, not a keyboard player, but G is every guitar player's favorite uh, key to play in. We say G for Jesus, baby. Because you don't have to use a capo when you play in G, right? That's a good preaching right there. And so this is what we think unity is a lot of times. We think that unity is that we all play the same note. But if, how many of you know songs that are written to music and this is all that you ever hear? I hope not, right? Because that would make for a pretty terrible song, right? It would make for a pretty boring song. But, you know, if we start putting some other notes in... And we start making music and we start making chords. I, I gotta look because I don't know where they are. Oh, that's the wrong one. That's a, that's a D chord if anybody's curious, which is the second best key for guitar players to play in, in case anybody was also curious. Marshall knows what's up. I got some, I'm getting some amens from over there today. And then, and then we got our, our, let's see, E minor. Come on. I think that's E minor. It doesn't matter. Wait. No, this is E minor. There it is. That's it. So, so you, start, you start playing your, your music. Let's see if I can find it. I should have used the guitar. I should have used the guitar for this illustration. I know a little bit of what I'm doing on there. You start playing music and you use different chords to play different sounds and, and they're not all the same, right? They're different. That was bad. But here's what happens a lot of times, right? We all get our own idea of what it should look like. Because we think by ourselves we sound fine. But the problem is when we come together in worship, and I don't mean worship on a Sunday morning, I mean living a life of worship. 
And we are not all under the lordship of Jesus, but we are rather under the lordship of ourselves, doing our own thing our own way because we believe our opinion is the right way, not just a simple opinion that, you know, we've got to do this kind of music or we've got to have this kind of preaching or we've got to have this kind of look or we've got to have this kind of ministry or kids' ministry has to look like this. And we think that while, you know, our sound is the sound. And so instead of joining others to make harmony, because the chord simply is just different notes that when put together make harmonies. We make noise. And can I tell you, sorry, Sarah, I know you're struggling over there. Can I tell you, there are a lot of great churches out there filled with a lot of great people, with a lot of great opinions, but because they refuse to work together and to be of one mind and one heart, instead of making music, instead of making harmony, they make noise, they make chaos because they're in disunity and division with one another. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equal yet distinct, and they make up the Godhead. We call that the Trinity. They all fulfill different functions, but they do so agreeing together in perfect unity and perfect harmony. And Jesus prays that we would be one as they are one. And as I said earlier, unity in the church doesn't happen when we agree on every single aspect of life or theology or ministry or style or preference, but rather unity in the church happens when we come together and agree on honoring and worshiping Jesus together. It happens when we join together and lock arms, lock arms in the same mission. It happens when we choose to work together and serve one another. And it happens when we intentionally put Jesus ahead. Listen to this. It happens when we intentionally put Jesus ahead of our preferences, of our, of, of our opinions, of our traditions, right? That's when unity happens. It happens when we come together with one focus, one mission, one mind, one heart, one voice, one Lord. Come on, I need a better amen than that. Jesus places so much importance on unity among his followers. He prays that through it, the world would know that he truly is the son of God. I think we need to hold on to that one again. He places so much importance on the unity of his followers he places so much importance on that that he prays that through it the world would know that he was truly sent by the Father. He prays it in verse 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And I want to tell you, Lifehouse, that I believe, I don't believe, I know that God put us together at this time, at this place, in 2022, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, in Powell, Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee, Clinton, Tennessee, Oliver Springs, Tennessee, all these little surrounding areas in the 865, right? And all these little areas that God, in his divine wisdom, before the foundations of the world were laid, decided that at this moment in history, that we as the people would be put together because he has a plan. Land, and he has a purpose for this area and for the, the Knoxville area, for the 865 area. And you and me and we together, we are part of that plan. Come on, you've, some of you have moved from the other side of the country and God's put you here. Some of you have been in this church since before I was born and God's put you. I actually don't think anybody in the room has been there that long. But, but, but God knew what he was doing and this is not a mistake and this is not an accident and every single one of these people on this stage earlier are evidence to the wisdom of what God is doing 
and what he wants to do. But I'm telling you, as a word of warning and as a word of encouragement, that unless we come together and unless we stay together and unless we come as one with one heart and one mind worshiping one Lord, that God, what he wants won't happen. Because let me just help you understand, God's will is not always accomplished. The word tells us that it's his will that no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus and receive everlasting life. But we know that every day there are people around the world that reject Jesus. God's will does not always happen. It wasn't God's will for Adam and Eve to eat the fruit in the garden. It wasn't God's will for a lot of things to happen. I'm here today to tell you that in your life, a lot of the things that have happened, they weren't God's will. God's will isn't always accomplished. I will tell you this as a little side note. I think God's purposes are always accomplished. But you see, God's playing the long game, right? And so today, I believe as a word of challenge, as a word of encouragement, and maybe for even some of us as a word of correction, that God's will for us as a church is to operate in unity together because it's only through the unity within us that God can do what he wants to do in us and through us. He put us together at this time in this place so that we could accomplish his purposes, but not our own purposes. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. Unity is required for your body to accomplish its mission of keeping you alive. Aren't you thankful that you know you've got a body where your kidneys don't get into arguments with your liver over you know how we should purify blood today. I think we should do it this way. The kidneys say, "Am I right? Isn't that kind of what happens in the body?" Okay, good. Yeah, and you know if you have or if you know somebody who has liver problems or kidney problems, you know how terrible it is when the body doesn't do what it was designed to do and how much disaster that can wreak on the body and how much pain it can cause on the body when, when the body doesn't do what it was called and made to do. I have, I have lower back issues. My lower back, uh, since my early 20s, I, I got hurt uh, just horsing around with some friends and I've had back issues since I was about 21 years old and even right now as I stand up here it, it just feels like a little like a little fire just burning right there on the on my back if anybody has back problems you kind of know you, you you smell what I'm stepping in right you just feel that little burn right back there and and so I like to play golf golf doesn't like for me to play it but I like to play golf and but when I go to to, to lean over a golf ball and play golf in that moment I get angry with my body because it doesn't do what it was supposed to do discs in my back try to move and cartilage just evaporates out of thin air right and it doesn't do what it was designed to do and that's just a small thing compared to how some other people have greater and, and larger problems in their body and 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 so if your body is going to do everything it was made to do it takes your body working together fulfilling its roles but doing it in unity with the other parts of your bodies that were made to fulfill its roles I don't know if there's anything harder to watch as a sports fan than a team a basketball team or a football team or whatever that is filled with talent but because they don't work together they never make it through the big games right they never they never win the championships 
how much more devastating is it for the body of Christ to be filled with so many amazing men and women of God but fall short of our divine destiny because we never truly come together the way God made for us to come together. When we get hung up on what we want over what does the Lord want. When we get hung up over this is how we've always done it instead of, well, God, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, it's time for a new thing, right? It's time to sing a new song. It's time, it's, it, the message doesn't change, but the methodology is always changing. And, and so it's, as hard as it is when the body malfunctions because it works out of sync with itself, and as sad as it may be to watch a team collapse that's filled with talent because they don't know how to pass the ball or work together, how much more tragic is it when local bodies of believers don't fulfill all that God has called them to fulfill because there are still people sitting on the sidelines, pointing fingers instead of locking arms with one another. Oh, this is, this is not fun, right? Unity is required for the church, the big C church and the local church, for us to, to accomplish the mission of reaching the lost and discipling believers. Hey, elbow your neighbor and just look at him and say, hey, we're in this together. Come on, look at the person that you, you neglected the first time and tell them, hey, we're in this together. Unity was the key factor in the growth of the early church in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, if you, if you, you should just flip there because it's, it's, worth, it's worth seeing what the Lord does. I usually don't have you do that, but just go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 in your Bible or on your phone. And this is what the Bible says. I'm reading from the New King James right here. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. In other words, what, what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is saying, when, the, when Pentecost, when it was finally the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together in one heart, in one mind, and they were physically together in one place. And I'll just tell you right now, you can't be in unity with other believers if you're not intentionally choosing to spend time with other believers. I mean physically. I'm talking about if you just show up and you get here late and you leave early, you don't serve on a team, you don't join life groups, you're, you're not involved with any extracurricular activities of the church. Let me tell you just plain and simple with a heart of love, you're not in unity with what God's doing. If you're not hanging out with people who are in this body of believers outside of church functions, then you're not living in unity with what God is doing. And according to Jesus, not according to Drew, you are actually living in rebellion of the prayer that Jesus himself prayed. Oh, Pastor Drew, how could you say that? I didn't say it. God's word said it. I'm just telling you what God's word said. If you're not here on Sundays, if you're not part of a group, if you're not serving, if you're not coming to fall festivals and Easter egg hunts, and if you're not doing life with the people that you have chosen to worship with, you are living in disunity with the body of believers that God has called you to be part of. And you are actually, oh, please help me, Jesus. I don't want to offend, but I want to be truthful. You are actually holding the church back from doing all it's been called to do. You have become a hindrance instead of a blessing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. 
Amen. <laughs> Let's continue reading in Acts. We'll just go back to the Bible. How about that? Verse 2, the word tells us that suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Can I just tell you right now that God moves in amazing ways in our, in our church and in our lives when we choose to be in unity with other believers. This is an historic occasion of the early church that literally ushered in the church that we are part of today. And it is predicated on the fact that they were of, of one mind and they were together physically in one place. They weren't just together physically and they weren't just together. They, they didn't just say, oh, brother, brother, we're, just, we're with you in spirit. No, they were with them there too. It, you can't have one or the other. You have to be all in or all out, okay? And so amazing things happen because they choose to be together in heart and mind and physically. And Jesus, I said this earlier, Jesus even said, when two or three are gathered together, I am there with them in the middle of them. And amazing things happen. And I'm not going to read this part, but uh, verses 41 through 47 gives us this incredible account of what day-to-day -day life looked like in the early church. It says that they, that they met together. It says that they shared possessions, that they helped one another when they were in need, that they worshiped together. But they didn't just worship together on Sundays. No, they would be having dinner together Tuesday night. And they would pray over their meal. And before you knew it, they, their food was cold because they were just having time together, worshiping the Lord. They worshiped together. They shared meals together. They spent time in each other's homes. They served one another. They cared for one another. And they loved one another. And Luke tells us that the Lord added to their fellowship daily those who were being saved. And you pick up with verse 32, and I'm going to read this part. Luke tells us that all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Does anybody have a bass boat? <laughs> no reason, just asking. A really nice ATV. They shared everything they had. I'm just going to put it back out there. Maybe somebody needs to go buy one. I feel the Lord. Verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. God's great blessing was upon them all. Did you know that from Acts 1 to Acts 4, which really just covers a few months in the history of the early church, the church grows from 120 people to over 9,000 people? I mean, can you imagine that between now and June of next year, the Lord grew us from a church of about 180 people to a church of 5,000 people? I mean, like, when we think about that, that seems impossible, right? It seems like, oh, you know, that's just... How would we ever keep up with those numbers? How would, we, how would we manage? Well, we wouldn't manage. We would depend on the Lord, right? 
And, and, but let me ask you, how big is your God? And how willing are you to live in unity with your brother and sister in Christ? To do life with them, to love them, to cherish them, to serve one another, to lock arms together, to have one heart, one mind, one vision, one Lord, one voice. I, I'm not saying that that's what God wants for us, but I'm just saying that he wanted it for them. And the reason why it occurred wasn't just because he wanted it for them. Can I just tell you right now, one, one more time, everything that God wants for your life doesn't always happen because sometimes you mess it up. And the only person who can mess up God's will for your life is you. You're the only person that can stand in the way of God's best for you. Nobody else, no, no parent, no spouse, no, no, no boss, no, no pastor, nobody but you can stand in the way of God's best for you. And so what can't God do in our church if we would, would choose and make the choice to, to go all in on what God is doing in Oak Ridge and in Lifehouse? What would God do? What could God do if we would give up our preferences? If we would give up our time? Come on. If we would choose to give up our energy? If we would even choose for some of us to give up our finances and say, what God? What can't God do if we will go all in and give him everything we've got because eternity is at stake for this community. Can I tell you, many of us, I didn't realize this message was going to be so hard when I was preparing it. Whew. It didn't preach like this in my head. Many of us miss out on God's great blessing because we refuse to live under the authority that God has placed over us, number one. And we refuse to live in unity with the believers that God has placed around us. And we miss out on God's great blessing for us. So what does unity look like on a day-to-day level? I'm going to go fast. So if you're taking notes, get ready. What does it look like on a day-to-day level? Does it mean that we always get along? Does it mean that we always agree, never disagree? Obviously, I think I've pretty well settled that. That is not what it means. Real unity isn't always agreeing. Real unity is never allowing your disagreements to divide you. And this is, this is just as appropriate for a family as it is for church, right? The unity that Jesus desires for each of us can be summed up in one word. Anybody want to give a guess to what that word is? That's right. Come on, Sherry. Say it loud. Love. Love. You know, we can go to 1 Corinthians 13. I did a Greg and Jessica's wedding. Congratulations, by the way, last week. And I read a portion from 1 Corinthians 13. And a lot of people actually assume that Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13 just so that people can read it at their wedding vows to one another. But the truth of the matter is 1 Corinthians is written to a church. It's not about the love between a husband and a wife, although it is applicable to that. It's actually about love between fellow believers. And so borrowing from 1 Corinthians 13, love is what unity looked like, looked like. Love bears the burdens of another. Love rejoices during times of joy. Love doesn't get jealous, right, because somebody got a raise and you didn't. Somebody, love doesn't get jealous because somebody got a new car and you didn't, right? Love doesn't start gossiping about them behind their back saying, oh, they must be doing well because, man, look at how they're doing. I, it must be nice. You know, that's not what love looks like. That's what selfishness looks like. That's what sin looks like. Love weeps during times of sorrow. Love encourages during times of weakness. It doesn't kick somebody while they're down. It lifts them up. Love gives whenever there is a need, and it goes above and beyond. Love defends when others criticize. 
Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him, I got your back. I got your back. Come on, do. Y'all ain't living in unity right now. Y'all ain't even talking to each other. I got your back. Love serves even when it's not convenient. Oh, Pastor Drew, I would love to serve in the nursery. I'd love to serve in kids' house, but my knees just don't let me do it. Well, hey, you go back there, and we'll get somebody back there with you that's got good knees. You can just make sure they don't hurt each other. How about that? You know, I, I would love to serve, but, but you know, I'm just, it's just too hard to be there in time for early service. Come on, Jesus died for you. Get your rear end out of bed and come on to church. Because love serves not when it's easy, but when it's needed. And none of this is easy, right? But it's worth it. How many things in your life are good that were easy to come by? Very few, if any. It's the hard things in life that are the worthy things in life. And love serves. It gives, even when it's not convenient. Love goes the extra mile. Love doesn't just do enough. Love goes above and beyond. Love shows up even if everyone else has shown out. Love thinks the best. It hopes for the best. And it speaks the best. Love stops gossip in its tracks. Where you at? Oh, did you hear about? And that's when you say, hey, you need to shut your mouth. Oh, I would never talk like that. Well, you would tear somebody down behind their back. How about, how about shut them up to their face? Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Some of y'all need to give me the benefit of the doubt today. <laughs> Love does not allow the petty to get in the way of the eternal. Love will confront what it needs to confront. Love will contend for when it needs to contend. And love will comfort when it needs to comfort. So how do we attain unity? Like, how do we actually do this? Like, do we all just get together and agree? Like, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is, so I need, I, need, I need two people to help me out. I need two people. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. See? Yeah. yeah. All right, which one of y'all wants to be God? the unity they pointed to each other so i got we got the next service coming in they'll just have to watch all right okay Irby, you're going to be jesus you're going to be god you're going to stand right here and you're going to face me melanie walk with me this way now go stand right over there this is this is this is what love looks like or excuse me this is what unity looks like unity doesn't look like me going to melody and saying hey Hey, um, you know, what do, what do we agree on? What, what, what are we doing here? That's, not, that's what we think unity looks like. But Jesus actually gave us the key to unity in Matthew chapter 6. In just a few words, he actually said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this is what unity looks like. It looks like me pursuing the Father and you pursuing the Father. And the closer we get to the Father, the closer we grow to one another. Come on. Come on, give it up for them. That's what unity looks like. We are going the same direction. It doesn't matter where we started, right? But as long as we're moving the same direction, we're growing closer to him and we're growing closer to one another. Jesus said in verse 21 of John 17, he said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. 
And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Real quick, three thoughts as we shut this message down, as we land this plane. Jesus prays for three things very specifically. Number one, he prays that we would be one. Let's call that horizontal unity. Let's call that horizontal unity, that you and me would be one. And can I tell you, and this is a little difficult, I can't be right with God if I'm wrong with you. So Jesus addresses that first and foremost, that we would be one, that that we would get this relationship worked out. And number two, he says that we would be one in God. Notice he doesn't pray that, that one of them, let me see if I can make this make sense. He doesn't pray that we as individuals would be right with God. Rather, he prays that we together, as we get this right, that we together would be one with the Lord. Because you see, you have to understand, we, we do live in Western society, which is a very individualistic culture. But Jesus in the Middle East is talking to people who would never comprehend. They could not even grasp the idea of worshiping God apart from community. Everything they did, they did together. Nobody ate alone. Nobody went anywhere alone. Nobody worshiped alone. And many of us today, we suffer in our faith because we have chosen a path of isolation and separation. And we say things like, oh, you know, it's just me and the Lord. Well, God never made you to be just me and you. If you will remember, the very first not good found in Genesis chapter 2 was not sin. It was isolation. God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good that man would be alone. Let me make a helper who is fit for him. And so the very first problem that God addresses is not the problem of sin. It is the problem of isolation. It's the problem of loneliness. And many of us are lonely today. Even though we spend our day surrounded by people, we work with people, we go to a home full of people maybe. We go to church where there are people. But because we have chosen a life of isolation, and what I mean is like in here, we may be together physically, but you remember in Acts chapter two, the disciples weren't together just physically. They were of one heart and one mind. So we get this right. And then we get this right. And Jesus, in his prayer, he says, he essentially says this. If you take horizontal unity, right? And you add it to vertical unity. If we get this and we get this right. He said, then you put those things together and what does it equal? It equals eternal impact. Number one, that we would be one. Number two, that we would be one in God. And number three, that the world would believe Jesus is Lord. That's how important unity is in the church. Yeah, we can have good programs. We can do good things. We can have great worship services. But if we truly want to make a difference, 
that outlives us, if we want to make a difference that goes beyond us, that's bigger than us, then we have to do it together. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to ask you for you to reflect on this for a moment. Are there any horizontal relationships that you need to give attention to? You may be holding on to unforgiveness. Maybe you've neglected a relationship. Maybe it's time to pick up the phone and call or send a text or take a drive and go visit somebody. Have you allowed a fence, not, not a physical fence, although sometimes it's even more powerful than a physical fence, but have you allowed offense to separate you from somebody? to create a wedge of disunity between you and them. And if you have, maybe it's time to set down your preferences, your opinions, and your desires and to heed the words of Jesus, right? To, to, to remember that he's the Lord of your life. You're not the Lord of your life. And to make that relationship right. Maybe today you need to give attention to your relationship with your heavenly father. Maybe you've neglected that relationship. Maybe you've allowed a barrier of distraction to get in between you and him. What about, or how awesome would it be for the day to come that we would all show up in this place together in, with one mind and one heart and we didn't wait on this team to, to, to pep us up to worship but rather we walked into this room with a heart of worship already having worshipped the Lord on the way to church because worship isn't something we do it's someone that we are and how powerful would that witness be? And how great would the move of God be? I mean, I just think about things like that. And I understand and I remember, it's not as if this is foreign to history. It's not as if these things have never happened before. It happened in Acts chapter 2. It's happened all throughout the history of our world, all over the map. Why not here? Why not now? Why not revival in our life today, here and now? We're a community. It's changed. Our families are changed. Because we decided that what we have in common is more important than what we don't. I know our next service is going to be in here in a moment. But I just want to take five minutes and invite you to come to the altar today. If, if, you're, if you're with me and you would say, Pastor Drew, I'm ready. I'm ready to see what God wants to do in us and through us. To lock arms with everyone in this church. Because we love everyone who's not in this church. 
And if that's you, if that's your heart, if that's your prayer, I just want to, as a sign of unity, could we come to this altar together, shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, and take some time and lift up the name of Jesus together.